0: One of the last places on Earth to be colonized by humans, this island evolved in isolation for millennia and became the home to countless plants, animals, and traditions which you won't find anywhere else in the world. From the sandy, palm-strown shores to the arid plains dotted with the massive, stocky shapes of the boba trees to the tops of the volcanoes that tower over the densely populated tropical rainforest, is brimming with a sense of mystery and adventure that you'll usually only see in movies. Today, we'll be exploring the humid jungle island of Madagascar, home of the Phupat also known as Turning of the Bones. This time-honored local tradition begs the question, if you could keep your loved ones close, even after death, would you? I'm Scott Parrish, and you're listening to Dine to Eat, each episode we'll be focusing on a different country and exploring the relationship between food and death around the world. If you love food, culture, and fun stories, then I've got a great show in store for you. So make sure you stick around to the end and see what's cooking this week. Madagascar. Madagascar is truly one of the most interesting places on earth, in part because of its history. When the people who would become the Malagasy, migrated there from various places around Africa, Malaysia, Indonesia, and the Middle East. It was truly one of the last true frontiers. I said truly a few times in there, didn't I? Interesting. Stick with me. It's a time capsule of an island that had been previously untouched by humans as far as we know. After moving to the island in waves between 350 B.C. and around 550 A.D., and then living together for generations in relative isolation from around the outside world, these various groups of settlers went on to form a population so ethnically diverse that scientists are still trying to get a full picture of the Malagasy genealogy. These groups went through the same cultural phases as most developing countries, dividing the geography into tribal regions and operating on socio-political traditions that were built up over a thousand years of sharing a homeland. There aren't a lot of major events on record of the activity between the tribes until around the 1500s, when the two of the tribes, the Marina and the Sakalava, began a series of conflicts that spanned a 100 years. Historical records in Madagascar actually only go back to the 1200s when Arab traders discovered the island and being notoriously meticulous record keepers themselves devised a written writing system for the Malagasy to use. So according to the available historical records, it all began when the Sakalava started kidnapping people from the Marina tribe to sell as slaves. The Marina retaliated Then the Sakalava retaliated, and so on and so on. Eventually, the Marina tribe was able to take the upper hand, uniting most of the island through a combination of treaties and battles won. This culminated in the establishment of the Kingdom of Madagascar in the early 1800s under the rule of the Marina royalty. The Marina had established trade relations with the British, who had troops on the nearby African mainland, early on and were able to use the weapons and the training the British provided in turn the tide of the war and conquer the island. The relationship with the British proved to be even more fruitful after the Kingdom of Madagascar was officially formed as their control gave them full access to the island's resources and the British trade provided an easily accessible market to turn those resources into profit. Things seemed to be on the up and up for the newly established monarchs but their path to conquest had earned them countless enemies. Even the tribes who had originally agreed to join the marina against the Sakalava eventually turned on them after seeing over 100,000 people slain and another 200,000 enslaved under their reign. By the time the French took control of the island, half a century later, the Kingdom of Madagascar was already in a state of civil unrest. This civil unrest left the monarchy unstable, which aided the French's success, but another important element was the removal of the British support. You see, this was around the same time that many other European countries were working to colonize large parts of Africa. France was able to use some of their previously conquered territories as pawns in negotiations with the British. This resulted in a treaty that stated that the British would relinquish all interest in the island when the French seized control. When their citizens, angry and divided, and their foreign friends nowhere to be found, the marina had no choice but to concede to the invaders. The French maintained a tumultuous hold over the island for nearly 150 years, but the Malagasy remained the island's main inhabitants. Over time, they became more united in their hatred for their French rulers. The French brought even more commerce to the island than the British had, but this brought with them new problems. Pirates. Just off the coast of Madagascar, there's this tiny landmass called St. Mary's Island, or more famously, Pirate Island. Now, you don't call a place Pirate Island for nothing. In fact, this place became a pirate's paradise throughout the 1800s and into the uh, early 1900s. It's estimated that over a thousand pirates, many whose names you might recognize, set up headquarters on Pirate Island. There was a whole community there. They had huts, houses, places for captains and crews, and even a even a graveyard that served as a final resting place for some very infamous pirates. If you ever set sail in Madagascar, you can actually even catch a boat over to Pirate Island and see this hilltop graveyard for yourself. In time, the era of the pirates faded in the Malagasy, were eventually able to gain sovereignty in June of 1960. Now, I want you to think about that. 1960, that means that was only 61 years ago that Madagascar found independence. In historical terms, that's a blink of the eye. Today, they're a republic ruled by elected parliament, and uh, also by a president. And they rely mostly on tourism and exporting local agricultural goods like coffee and vanilla to boost the economy. As a matter of fact, Madagascar is the world's main source of vanilla and cloves by producing 80% of the world's supply every year. Despite their fraught history, France is actually Madagascar's main trading partner. With France's just redistributing some of the products to other countries as an intermediary. The island's tourism industry is also very important as it serves a double function. You see, in recent years large sections of Madagascar's old growth rainforest were cleared to plant corn. To save on the manpower required to clear the forest by hand, developers tend to use a haphazard hack and burn off the, wild, the, the wildlands and they devastated much of the forest. The island's tourism industry is also really important as it serves a double function. You see, in recent years, large sections of Madagascar's old-growth rainforest have been cleared to plant corn. To save on the manpower required to clear the forest by hand, developers tend to use a more haphazard hack and burn method This often led to wildfires devastating large portions of the forest. This leaves less and less natural habitat for the island's many unique plant and animal species and has led to the extinction of many during our lifetime. However, the tourism industry also relies on the preservation of this natural landscape and the various species that inhabit it. So there's been a great push to get more people to come and visit and see these unique wonders on the island for themselves. Basically, if you're looking to go on vacation, choosing Madagascar would be a win-win for you and all the little cute critters in the rainforest. I know it's hard to believe when there are pirates involved, but the humans aren't even the most interesting inhabitants on Madagascar. If you've seen the DreamWorks movie, you probably already know that the island is also home to an incredible number of animal species, many which don't exist anywhere else on Earth. Although to my disappointment, it turns out that none of them really seem to talk any English or any other language other than animal, I guess. Madagascar was originally attached to the mainland of Africa until it broke off during a massive earthquake millions of years ago. Over time, it has drifted further and further into the ocean, isolating the island species more and more until they completely evolved into new animals that were unique just to that area. In the span of only a decade, we're talking 1999 to 2010, biologists were able to identify over 600 new species of animals, including many birds, lemurs, and reptiles. Madagascar's wide array of biodiversity is partly due the five distinct climate zones that make up the island's geography, each of which offer a perfect habitat for a distinct set of plants and animals. So far, scientists have identified over 13,000 different plant species, 80% of which can only be found on this island. Most, one of the most famous examples is the baobab tree. And I hope I'm saying that right, if I'm not, Let us know. The baobao tree is this stocky trunk giant that has small clusters of branches sticking out of the top. The trunk operates like a camel's hump. It stores immense amounts of water for long periods to ensure its survival during the seasons of drought. These trunks can be up to nine meters. So, some quick math. If you're talking about three feet to a meter or something like that, We're talking about a a trunk that's something like 27 feet across. That's a huge tree. And many biologists believe that their secret behind the tree is this ability to be able to store water. The spinely top branches bear flowers in a variety of different colors which are pollinated by various bats that haunt the island. And these flowers later become a large, vitamin-rich Balba fruit, which uh, all the locals really love to eat. A similar succulent type tree that you're likely to see when you Google Mad- Malagascar is the Pachypodum or the flatfoot tree. It has, a sa- it has the same stocky trunk as the balba, and some Malagasy use them as living water storage tanks an essential tool in a tropical and sometimes arid desert-like climate where water seems to evaporate at the snap of a finger. Of course, I could go on forever listing the countless plants that provide substance to humans and shelter for animals, but a major feature of Madagascar's plant life that you may not have heard of is the abundance of medicinal plants adorning the landscape maybe you've seen a late night tv ad or some influencer online singing about the praises of teas that can change your life fix your marriage make your kids respect you or cure something short of death personally i like a little sugar in my tea but your beverage choices are yours in madagascar though there are really an insane number of plants that have long been used to cure everything from a slight headache to a serious infection most often in a T-form. Although a large number of these are untested and could really be chalked up to old wives tales or maybe the placebo effect, many have actually undergone rigorous scientific testing and have been found to be surprisingly effective. For example, extracts from the blossom of the Madagascar evergreen tree are used in most of the up-to-date cancer treatments around the world. Unfortunately, Over 80% of Madagascar's lush landscape has fallen victim to the severe deforestation and the effects of climate change over the recent decades. Many of the island's animal species are at risk of going extinct, and for some, it's already too late. As the environmental health of Madagascar declines, the future of the island's human inhabitants becomes more and more uncertain. In fact, Most of the people in Madagascar rely on farming for survival. They grow food to sell and to supply their families. They grow medicinal plants to help the sick. And still other plants are sold in to make textiles. As I mentioned earlier, Madagascar's exports also help supply other countries with many difficult-to-grow crops like cloves, bananas, coffee, coca, and vanilla beans. Ecotourism is another huge part of what keeps the country running as visitors flooding in to see the beautiful and unique sights brings an influx of cash. As the natural landscape fades, so does the hype drawing in tourists and fueling the economy. Fortunately, The problem is not gone unnoticed by local officials and conservation efforts are really being made to preserve and regenerate Madagascar's natural environment. Some of the scientists believe that the money and public awareness that ecotourism generates could actually be the key to the island's survival. While the island may be bursting with life, there of course is a corresponding amount of death. Over 80,000 Malagasy were killed when the French invaded and many more fell victim to the pirate activity in the century that followed. The Malagasy people have become very accustomed to living with death, literally. When Malagasy people pass away, it's believed that they're not dead as long as they remain home, surrounded by devoted loved ones. Instead, they're treated like they're sick and their loved ones care for them as they would any other sick family member. They're bathed and clothed, they're included in prayer gatherings and celebrations, and yes, they're even fed. Currently, there are about 25.5 million people living on Madagascar, many who are are in extreme poverty. Lack of access to transportation, education, health care, and even clean drinking water have led to a high mortality rate and even lower lifespans or maybe I should say lower lifespans as time goes on. You see, lower class families can only afford to diligently care for their loved ones for maybe a few weeks before it's time to say goodbye and bury the remains. Middle Middle class families, on the other hand, often choose to keep their deceased at home for several months, and wealthy families, well, they can keep their relatives around for years. Modern death rituals in Madagascar are a combination of long-standing local traditions and Christianity which were introduced to the islanders by the French colonizers. However, sometimes these traditions are challenged by something else the French brought with them to the island. The plague. The bacteria that causes plague can survive on human remains for a ridiculously long time, which is part of what allows it to spread so effectively, and the threat of catching it from a long dead relative can really put a damper on your family festivities. To make matters worse, distrust of the French and a deep cultural connection to these traditions have led many Malagasy people to believe that the plague is something of a government conspiracy, in part to disrupt their native culture, but what exactly what exactly these mysterious and controversial traditions are and why they're important that people are willing to catch the plague is something that's just really beyond me remember how i said that the malagasy who have passed away are simply treated as if they're sick until after they're buried well they're still not even considered dead even then according to traditional malagasy beliefs The dead can't move on to the afterlife until the bodies are completely decomposed. This is a process that can take (laughs) even years. For the Malagasy, these ancestors are still part of the family and they require care and maintenance every so often. This maintenance comes in the form of Pamat Dihana. Now, before I move on, I got to tell you, I really had to practice that word, but now I can tell you Pamat Dihana in my sleep. And we'll come back to that in a minute. To really understand the traditions of Matihana and the dead, we really need to understand the traditions of the living first. The tribal roots of the Malagasy have left a strong focus on family, which has been carried on into the modern culture of the Madagascar as a whole. There's a strong emphasis on the strength and hard work of ancestors that laid the foundation of life for each new generation. And... Working to become one of these honored forebears is a big motivational factor. In fact, one of the worst things that can happen to a Malagasy person is to be disowned, because that means giving up your place in the family tomb. Since the Malagasy believe that people remain, retain their consciousness through their soul after death, being buried in the family tomb and having your body cared for during famadihana is considered a privilege. While being buried separately is a harsh sentence that means you spend your decaying years alone in the cold darkness of a grave. Although superstitions are fading now in Madagascar as they are in most of the modern world, having family to care for your grave is also thought to deter witches from stealing your corpse and cursing you after your body has a chance to decay and release your soul into the afterlife. In fact, when someone dies in Madagascar, One of the first things to happen is the immediate family gathers around your body in a circle while friends and neighbors and more distant relatives make preparations to preserve the corpse. The body is kept with the family at a home for a period of time between a few days and a few years before the first burial and the funeral take place. After that, the next visit to the deceased is usually the famatdianna. So with that said, what exactly is the Pumat Dihana? In short, Pamatihana is a sort of festival that occurs every five to seven years, usually heralded by spirits of ancestors visiting the living in their dreams and begging for warmth, company, or new clothes. To honor these wishes, Pamatihana begins, with, and dead relatives are taken out of their resting places to join the living for a two-day celebration. First, they're cleaned up and they're dressed in fresh clothes and silk burial shrouds, and then it's time to party. What I say is sort of a festival because Fumat Dihana is an event that each family holds to themselves as opposed to the whole country or a village-wide event. This means that there can be multiple Fumat Dihana during a year, and they can be at different times although most families choose to hold it during the dry seasons for practical reasons. The living relatives host great feasts, one of the few times such expenses can really be justified by these poor people, and it gives a time for distant relatives to travel in and take part. They sing and they dance with the dead raised above their heads, and it's time of true joy when you can talk to your loved ones as if they were still there, listening intently to what you have to say. During Pumat Dihana, Buffalo are even sacrificed as traveling companions for the dead so that those that pass can travel faster into the afterlife and arrive faster than they would if they were on foot. The dead are also shrouded with gifts of food, money, alcohol, and other tokens placed inside their tombs. Because of the relationship that the Malagasy have with the afterlife, Turning of the bone ceremony is much more important than any birthday party and family tombs often cost more than houses which if you think about it makes sense if you think that this is a place where everyone in your family and all of your descendants are going to spend eternity the feast of the pamantihana unite the living and the dead the old and the young and family members from near and far Everyone contributes with a can in order to be able to afford enough meat and homemade specialties to fill all of the attendees' bellies, as well as plenty of alcohol to carry the spirit of the celebration. Many families also go through a fasting period in preparation of Famatihana so that the feast can be appreciated as much as possible. When the celebrations are over, the bones of the Malagasy ancestors are returned to their tombs before the sun sets, Partly to keep the ancestor spirits from facing the cold darkness, and partly to keep them safe from evil spirits and witches that haunt the night. I think that's a pretty positive note. And speaking of positive notes, let's switch gears and let me give you the lowdown on my favorite Malagasy re- recipe. It's this hot, hearty dish called romazava, And if you like a good one-pot crowd-pleaser, you're going to love it. I'll go through the ingredients and then the full recipe so feel free to pause as we go through and if possible I'll post the description where you can get it later so let's start and as always I try to develop these recipes so that you at home whether you're an experienced cook or not can enjoy the dishes that we discuss so back to the recipe We'll need a 28-ounce can of mustard greens, a 28-ounce can of turnip greens, a 14-ounce can of diced tomatoes, a half pound of cubed chicken breast, a half pound of cubed pork loin, seven cloves of minced garlic, two tablespoons of minced ginger, one medium diced sweet onion, a diced jalapeno pepper around, uh, let's say, two inches long half cup of chicken broth, half cup of beef broth, and then some oil, salt and pepper. We'll kick things off by heating two tablespoons of oil in a two quart pot over medium high heat. When the oil is hot, add the diced onion and wait about three minutes until the onions begin to simmer and then add your jalapeno, your garlic and your ginger and maybe just a little dash of salt. Make sure to keep an eye on it and if your vegetables start to stick to the pot, Go ahead and put a little beef broth in and it, it, it acts as a barrier. When the onions start to turn translucent, add your meats and cook them until they're good and browned. After that, we add the greens and the rest of our beef broth to the pot and let that simmer until the greens start to warm up. Last but not least, we add the onions and a little bit more salt and pepper to whatever your tastes are. Leave the mixture on low heat until everything's nice and hot. Stir it occasionally so it heats evenly. You'll want to serve it up right after you get through cooking it so it's nice and hot then. And if you want to go the extra mile for a little bit more authenticity, try serving it over fatty rice like the Malagasy do in the Pamat Hana. I've been your host, Scott Parrish, and I'd like to thank you for listening to Dying to Eat. This show is made possible by listeners like you, and I really appreciate your support. If you like what you've heard and you'd like to hear more, look out for new episodes every week on your favorite podcast platform. Make sure to drop us a like and follow the show to stay up on our latest episodes. You can also find us on Instagram at dyingtoeatpodcast. Thanks for your time, and until next time, stay lively.